Sound of Play 50. That's where we are 50 issues into this thing. It is a uh, feels like a real achievement there. Uh, today we're doing something that's a little bit different than a regular show. Uh, normally, every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we like to bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks you've enjoyed over the decades. And usually it's a bit of an eclectic mix. We have things from all different decades and genres and series and composers from different countries around the world. But today we're doing, uh, uh, we're taking a slightly different direction. We wanted to try something new uh, just to see if, if all of you would like it, see what kind of response we get to it. This is definitely a trial run of sorts. But what we're going to do on uh, for our 50th issue to kind of celebrate this occasion and going forward, if this is received well, uh, on every 10th issue, we want to do something special, which is an episode that focuses on the music of one video game series or one composer and really kind of thoroughly go through a series and the uh, the way that music is contributed to it and kind of give an audio essay, if you will, for um, the, the sounds that you'll be hearing throughout an entire series of games or, you know, one game in particular or one composer's work, um, kind of following it from the beginning right to the very end and hopefully hitting all the real important beats in between. Uh, kind of like what we used to do on the Music Mondays features that we used to post on the Canon Ridge website. Going to be something special. So today we are going to be looking at the music of the Legend of Zelda series. This is, we have 20 years of music to feature and so we're going to get right to it. We're going to be a uh, probably a little bit snappier in our in our speaking this time around because we've got a lot of music to feature and we want to get it all in the two-hour time limit. So uh, I guess without further ado, I am Ryan Heyman from Sound of Play and Canon Rinse, and today I'm joined by a member of our community. You might be familiar with some of his contributions to our previous podcasts in the way of uh, written contributions and that he uh, does a fair amount of streaming of uh, games that we are playing currently on Canon Rinse, uh, including the entire Zelda series, is what he's currently up against. This is Mr. Andrew Brown. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting for me to do. Yes, and together we're Andrew Ryan. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? <laughs> you are a a brother in arms as far as the, the Zelda race goes. We are both kind of concurrently going through this series. Are you hoping to hit every single one of them right now? Well, all of them but the DS and the 3DS ones, because I can't stream those, but yeah. Mm, <laughs> yeah, that is, that's an ambitious feat. And to not only, you know, uh, maybe we on the Canaan's podcast has, have a little bit easier because we can just kind of squeeze a couple of Zelda minutes into our free time. But, you know, as you're going to be streaming this, you want to sit down and schedule time and big blocks of time when people can watch you've got the extra technical things to worry about with the uh the streams and all so um you are adding some extra challenges onto an already pretty monumental task i i manage but thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're going to start off in uh what i think is a pretty logical point um we're going to be kind of following the chronology of the zelda series from the original 1986 game to uh, the most recent of Zelda games. As of the time of recording, this does not include the upcoming Legend of Zelda for Wii U and NX, which we might actually be getting a subtitle for next week as of the time of recording. So, oh well. <laughs> You'll know what it is by the time this is released. But um, we are going to be making some 
aberrations to that format um, here and there as we uh, feature some remixes, sometimes from later games, um, as is the case with this first track, and sometimes just from uh, compilation albums that Nintendo has put out themselves, or uh, even a couple of fan works that I think really capture the spirit of the original tracks very well. I think we should mm. talk about Koji Kondo, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is uh, some well, I'd say somewhat even. He is probably the most legendary of video game composers if I had to put that title onto anyone. Well, it's apt in this case, I think. So, <laughs> Yeah, composed uh, primarily and maybe even exclusively for Nintendo. He is most famous for probably the uh, original Super Mario Bros. soundtrack, although he's composed numerous other just really monumental soundtracks since then are there any that uh that particularly stand out to you i know the the mario series and the zelda series are the ones that he's probably best known for but is there anything else that uh, you wanted to draw the listeners attention to well he also has done the soundtracks for oh to any nintendo game you you can name <laughs> sure. his name's probably on it but I'm, I'm a big fan of his work on mario kart especially uh the soundtrack to mario kart 8 hmm Whenever I see his, his name on a soundtrack these days, it's always a little bit, um, I, I never know how to take that because sometimes he's coming into the studio and writing new tunes and stuff like we saw for um, Super Mario 3D World and some of the more recent wonderful compositions of his. And sometimes they're just crediting him because they're using themes that he had written in the past and you know new composers are coming in and, and doing um arrangements of his pieces that he's written in the past but from what i understand he's still very active and is um still churning out wonderful themes and, and tunes that'll stay stuck in your head for decades that certainly seems to be the case he seems to be in a much more uh, managerial position i know he's the hmm. sound supervisor at nintendo now so i think he kind of has his hand in pretty much everything that they do involving the creation of sound. I do like Nintendo for the fact that they do kind of foster these legends. You know, you have the Shigeru Miyamoto's and the Koji Kondo's and all of these people who have been there from the very beginning and they've grown to be kind of like video gaming royalty, but they still are very much involved with the uh, kind of grunt, <laughs> grunt labor of the, uh, the gaming industry, so to speak. Yeah, but these guys they're all kind of getting on in age now. We're going to be mm. we're going to be losing them. So we we've already lost some of them. Like we lost Iwata earlier this year. Right. right. And <laughs> we got tough replacements once these guys are gone. Yeah. Yeah, but they've uh, uh they've left quite a legacy and even if the rest of video gaming future is just arrangements and remixes of some of uh Koji Kondo's songs, that's I would be fine by me for the most part, because there are some stirring pieces, as we will hear today, almost not entirely. It, it, this playlist that we've compiled is not exclusively Koji Kondo's music, but it, it's mostly his pieces, because he's been on most of the main Zelda games. Yeah, I'd say every, even if his name is not as part of the mm. composing team, I'd say every single song we're going to listen to is beholden to Koji Kondo in some way. Right. Yeah, and we will specifically draw attention to those who aren't uh, those tracks which are not composed by Koji Kondo and uh, and perhaps also point out links to some of the ways that Koji Kondo might have inspired those specific tracks because he did really set the uh, the tone for the Zelda series, um, even if he's not on that specific soundtrack. All right, so why don't you take us through this this first track here? Well, for our first track by Koji Kondo, it is, of course... The song from Zelda that everybody knows. It's often mm -hmm. called the Zelda theme, but it's Overworld BGM. And, oh, 
I just want to thank you so much for assigning me this track, so I have to talk <laughs> about this. Probably, if it's not the Super Mario theme, it's Overworld BGM is mm. the song from video games that everybody knows. Mm. My understanding of it is is that originally, Kondo wanted to use Ravel's Bolero in the original Legend of Zelda, only to right, find out right. that the arrangement that he wanted to use was copyrighted. <laughs> so they had to really expand this original theme that they had out to use it in multiple areas of the game instead of just using Ravel's Bolero on the menu like they wanted to do, which I think has really helped to elevate the reputation of the song. It seems to be that it was a song that he had already prepared for the overworld of the game, mm -hmm. and he wanted to use Ravel's Bolero on the menu of The Legend of Zelda. Oh, okay. But then when that didn't work out, he had to rearrange the song he already had as quickly as he could to be on that version of the game, and that seems to be what happened. Okay, that makes sense. We are doing the overworld BGM, but you have actually chosen an arrangement of it from Hyrule Warriors, which is a much more recent game and is actually mm -hmm. arranged by a team from Koei Tecmo and Team Ninja, and that was your decision. So what was it about this song <laughs> that... I'm not saying it's a bad decision. I'm just saying <laughs> this was your choice. I just wanted to right, know right. why this particular arrangement is the one that you chose. This song does benefit from, uh, from both its history uh, coming out as an... NES chiptune song because uh, kind of famously for that era the instrumentation was very uh, very minimal um, what you could do with the uh, the sound chip of the NES and uh, what types of sounds you can get from it and so a lot of music had to be very kind of melodic and, and very tune focused and so you'll hear a lot of early video game music with very strong kind of driving themes because that plays to the strengths of the minimal instrumentation particularly well. But this song was, even back then, written like a grand adventurous orchestral piece. And we've had a lot of uh, remixes of this song over the years in various Zelda games and uh, the Super Smash Bros. series. But I, I think that the one that particularly stands out to me as being especially grand is the Hyrule Warriors arrangement. And it's also kind of a nice way to pay somewhat of an homage to a game that is sometimes and sometimes not considered part of the main Zelda anthology, but I think it's all part of the part of the family, you know, it's all within the arms of the Zelda universe. And so this is a little bit of a, a little bit of Hyrule Warriors, this arrangement by Masato Koiki and Yuki Matsumura. I should also add that this is a bit of a medley of sorts. It does start off with the traditional Legend of Zelda theme song and then mixes in a little bit of uh, Skyward Sword and Ocarina of Time in there. So just so just so we don't get letters thinking that you know we've overlooked something. This is a, a grand tour de force of some of the highlights of the Zelda series. So uh, what better way to start off?
Here's another track from the original Legend of Zelda on the NES back in 1986. This is also by Koji Kondo, and it's one track that I found to be particularly definitive of the original game, and I I guess unless I'm overlooking other compositions in the future, I'm not seeing this song referenced as much in later Zelda games as previous or as uh, other songs like the the main theme that we just played which you hear all over the place um i'd I'd love to hear this song remixed in later games it was featured in the cartoon actually and its orchestration in the cartoon was probably the highlight of the entire show for me um you know unfortunately i couldn't dig up that version but it's been kind of largely passed over i feel which is too bad because i think it's a fantastic composition Uh, this is the underground bgm this is what you would get when you go into the various temples and uh dungeons um the relentless arpeggio underlying this track is like uh the bubbling lava of the underworld and the lead instrument plays a really menacing kind of counter melody it's a good balance of sounding dangerous without sounding too as urgent and working against the game's slower pace and so it it kind of meets the game at the pace at which the players are experiencing it but still manages to uh just incite a real kind of evil to the track So this is a fairly short track, but I think it's recognizable for players of the original game, and my hope is that we'll be hearing more of it in upcoming Zelda games as well, because I think it's a fantastic composition. So this is Underground BGM, also by Koji Kondo. I'd love to hear Overworld Underground BGM mm-hmm. in the new Zelda coming out, especially since the new Zelda coming out is kind of, they haven't explicitly said this, but it seems like it's kind of going to be a throwback. It's going to be open world mm-hmm. again. And the Zelda series, it's always been quote unquote open world, but it hasn't been totally open since the first game. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I kind of look at that as a throwback. And I hopefully we'll hear the underground BGM also brought back for at least one of those dungeons. But I think that's also the reason that we haven't been hearing the underground BGM in any subsequent games is because in subsequent games, each dungeons have been giving its own song for the most part. And there are some rumors that um, this upcoming Zelda game is going to have smaller you know, Skyrim like caves and things mm-hmm. that you can explore and kind of mini dungeons. Uh, there were some numbers floating out there, but I think it's a little too early to start pointing to oh, any of those as definitive yeah. fact. But, uh, you know, maybe as things are going in this direction, we're going to get more uh, just kind of general themes for these underground sections. And it might be a perfect time to bring this old classic back. Uh, so we are continuing in our series of songs with BGM in the title, uh, standing for background music. Uh, This is from Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. As you'll remember, it was a, uh, maybe not our favorite on the main Canaanites podcast, but uh, one thing that we were pretty unanimous about is that the music, or at least a couple songs off of the soundtrack, are 
maybe some of the best in the series. Like I really love this song ever since I heard it in uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee. That probably gives it away a bit. This is Temple BGM by Akito Nakatsuka. And this is the song that would play in all of the temples except for the final temple. Uh, This is perhaps most well-known for its arrangement in Super Smash Bros. Melee, as I previously mentioned, um, as the adventure mode of Smash Bros. Melee included a throwback to Zelda 2, of all things, as you went through a very Zelda 2 kind of level, uh, swiping away like-likes and other Zelda-type enemies. Um, And also, one of the most famous stages from the entire Smash Bros. series, Hyrule Temple, Uh, which is based on Zelda 2 with some aspects of other Zelda games kind of intermixed throughout as kind of small aesthetic details, but largely based on the Zelda 2 temple format, which is uh, kind of a nice fun throwback for those of us who have been through the Zelda game or Zelda 2 in the past, uh, positive or negative experiences. But um, it's a magnificent composition in Super Smash Bros. And so I wanted to start off with the chip tune and then about halfway through kind of transition into the more familiar Smash Bros. arrangement, which is arranged by Shogo Sakai. As we mentioned, is not composed by Koji, Koji Kondo and has a very distinct flavor, uh, much different from most of Kondo's composition. Again, backed by a very dark sounding arpeggio. This track underlies the treacherous temples of Zelda 2. I don't really know what it is, but this one's always struck me as having a bit of a kind of salsa sound to it or something vaguely South American. Can't really pin it down. It may just be due to the instrument choices that were made in the Smash Bros. Melee version. And in one of those kind of like once you hear it the first time, you can't unhear it. Uh, But it may serve as a stepping stone to some of the more salsa or tango inspired tracks for Ocarina of Time and Beyond, which we'll get to. Uh, We'll be playing the NES original track and then blending that about halfway through into the version we're more likely to be familiar with from the Smash Bros. soundtrack, which is a wonderful cover.
right, and Andrew, do you want to take us over to the Super Nintendo and and the 3DS to a certain extent? Okay, then we had the two NES games, and then on the Super NES, we had quote-unquote Zelda 3, which is a link to the past, which as much as people love the Zelda games, I, I've often noticed that, especially for old-time fans, this is the game where they really got latched onto the series. Mm, yeah. It's really where it established, you know, its tone and its themes, and if, if you even want to say it's been building on those themes so much, it's become cliches, and... Uh, <laughs> But especially the music. Zelda and Zelda 2 both had really memorable music, but I think Link to the Past is where that music just really exploded into what it is today. Mm-hmm. And especially with the song that we're about to feature, which is an arrangement of Dark World, again by Koji Kondo. He was uh, he was busy for Zelda 2, but he made it back for A Link to the Past. <laughs> and a Link to the Past is, I think, it's a game about contrasts. You have the light world mm-hmm. and you have the dark world, and they contrast each other visually, and they also contrast each other in how you play through them, but they also contrast each other musically. Because with the Light World music on the overworld, you're hearing the familiar Zelda theme that everybody knows, but you know, how do you contrast that really legendary theme? Well, you've got the Dark World music, and mm. it, it's lively, and it still carries this undercurrent of menace. So it's communicating orally yeah. what a more dangerous place this is without losing the series' sense of adventure. I do like that it kind of centers on danger rather than evil, because as you get into the lore of A Link to the Past, you learn that the Dark World isn't really an evil place. It's just kind of an alternate place. Um, it, it's been corrupted by Ganon's presence, but you know there's nothing inherently evil about it, which I, I think the song does a really good job of conveying. Yeah, it used to be the, the Golden Realm, but then when mm, Ganon, right. Ganondorf got banished there, it became the Dark World through his influence. So I think that's kind of kind of what we're seeing through the influence of the music is this once grand and great place that's been corrupted by this darkness. Obviously, the Super NES track is great, but the one we've actually chosen is the Low Rule Overworld theme number one by Ryo Nagamatsu, I think is how you say it. I apologize on behalf of both of us for butchering all of these names. <laughs> this is from the, uh, the 3DS version of A Link Between Worlds, which is the official sequel to A Link to the Past, mm-hmm. which actually started as a remake of A Link to the Past. So it's, it's very appropriate that they would remake this song using more contemporary recording and composition techniques. Mm-hmm.
that instrumentation there, it, it's very clear. And I love that, uh, that big kind of pounding, resounding intro that they put in the track as well. Uh, it's, it's a really wonderful piece. And to kind of stay with the handheld theme and something you can play on your 3DS, uh, Andrew, why don't you bring us another piece from one of the smaller Zelda games, perhaps? Oh, one of the smaller ones, but I, I really want to say not one of the less significant ones, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. It, Link's Awakening. It was the first portable Zelda game. And I, I got to tell you, when I was in fifth grade, when this game came out, <laughs> I didn't think a Game Boy was capable of making a Zelda game because at the time I still thought Zelda was Tetris. Pokemon mm-hmm. hadn't even come out yet. So I didn't appreciate what the Game Boy was capable of. Then I played Link's Awakening and oh my gosh, this is this is one of my favorite Zelda games unabashedly. Hmm. Uh, I think we're going to surprise our listeners because they're probably expecting us to pick Telltale Heights. But we're about to blow your mind because we didn't pick Telltale Heights. Yeah, or the Ballad of the Windfish. We also did not pick the Ballad of the Windfish. Yes. Link's Awakening begins with Link being rescued from a shipwreck. And when he steps outside of his host house onto Koholan Island, there's this really rich and desperate song called Sword Search. It's the player's mm. backdrop while they guide a weaponless Link through this gauntlet of enemies in search of his lost sword so he can defend himself and liberate this mysterious island that he's on from the evil that has it in its grasp. It's a really interesting and unexpected way to begin the to begin the game because you expect to go out that door like you always do and just hear that Zelda fanfare start. But it's not what happens. You hear this this song instead, and it's not until you find his sword and you slash away your first monster that that Zelda theme kicks in. So it it's it kind of feeds into that a little bit mm. uh, towards the expectation and just that wonderful feeling of the Zelda theme. But it builds up to it through this really rich and desperate song. It's not a worse track than the Zelda theme. It, it's certainly a, a wonderful track in its own right, which is why we're featuring it, of course. But um, it, it is very different and it's something new and you know it's something that's unfamiliar as since you are stripped of your agency in a way without your sword it is the the world itself that has the real kind of character and control of the situation so it makes sense that we'd be hearing kind of an unfamiliar song in a new place so uh this is sword search from the legend of zelda link's awakening uh this is another song that koji kondo was He wasn't available to compose for Link's Awakening. So this song and this game was taken over by Minako Hamano and Kozui Ishikawa.
That was Sword Search from Link's Awakening. And we'll be hearing more from some handheld entries later on, but it'll be a little while before we get to those. So instead, let's go to what many consider to be the most kind of monumental game in the series, or at least the biggest turning point for the series. Uh, this is, we're starting off on Ocarina of Time, and we're going to be featuring <laughs> quite a few tracks from Ocarina of Time, because at this point, uh, we've used ocarinas and flutes and stuff as weapons and as tools and items in the past Zelda games, but this is really the point, or maybe even in Link's Awakening, uh, it's just kind of around this time that the Zelda series really started being defined by its relationship with its music in a way that you know, you might even compare like uh, Castlevania, naming its games after uh, Symphony of the Night and kind of musical terms like that. Uh, similarly, the Legend of Zelda series has named itself after, you know, its ocarina or its wind waker, which is its kind of composition baton. Um, so it has this music in its DNA. Previously, the Zelda games have all been kind of roaring adventures, although not as fast-paced and action-packed as some of their kin like Mario and Castlevania. Their soundtracks were bold and brash, all about the spirit of adventure. I think the title theme from Ocarina of Time was the first time that the series gave us some really slow, kind of almost mournful music, and it sets a really striking tone for a very different game. Uh, the version that I'm exhibiting is from Hyrule Symphony. This is a CD that Nintendo put out featuring some uh, live orchestral arrangements of tracks from Ocarina of Time. Highly recommended. And I feel it captures the essence and feeling of the N64 track in a really excellent way while adding some really beautiful for full orchestra mix to um, the song without overpowering the really kind of sweet and quiet melody. I think this track in particular stands out because... It's such a such a slow song to be featuring on a title screen, which, you know, uh, previously, like, in attract mode, this is something that's supposed to get people people's attention and draw them in and, and get them excited about playing this action-packed game. And, you know, Ocarina of Time and its fair share of action, and so it felt a little weird that the, the song that it chose to open on is such a quiet and reserved piece. Uh, I believe that's talked more about in the Ocarina of Time uh, issue of Canaan Lorenz, if you want to seek that out. But I think for what it is, this is a, a really interesting composition and sets a nice tone for this very different game. The music in the Zelda series has always been a really significant part of it. But I think starting in Link's Awakening, you could kind of see that music was going to become more important. But it's, right. an, it's an ocarina of time where I think the music became not just an integral part of Zelda, but an inextricable part of it. Because it's not just like in Link's Awakening where you're seeking out musical instruments that are just MacGuffins to get into the last dungeon. In Ocarina mm. of Time, you're actually taking part in the music by having mm, to yeah. perform it yourself and to change and affect the world around you. So I think that kind of accounts not only for the various different kinds of music you know moving on more from that european orchestral bombast towards more introspective themes like the title theme mm. but also just more towards drawing musical inspiration from lots of different areas like we're about to hear for the next few tracks
Just a little context, uh, for Zelda's 25th anniversary, they released a fully orchestrated soundtrack CD, and it was included with many editions of Skyward Sword, if you had the good sense to buy it new and not used. Uh, the CD selection only had one song from Ocarina of Time, which might seem a little crazy considering how well-regarded Ocarina of Time is for its soundtrack. But what was even crazier was it took the Spanish guitar-tinged kind of flamenco-esque Gerudo Valley and it just reimagined it as this louder orchestral sound that really more effectively evoked the, uh, the, the menacing atmosphere of the region of the game that it was played in, which was Gerudo Valley which was this really hostile, barren environment that you had to navigate to reach the spirit temple. And it's like you're going to be swallowed up by sandstorms and there's levers emerging from the ground trying to eat you whole. And then it's just got this really odd Spanish guitar playing in the background like you're at a beach party or something. (laughs) I, I just, I really appreciate this arrangement of Gerudo Valley because it just so much more effectively captures the spirit of that point of the game.
So this next track is an interesting one. It's actually one that we featured on, uh, it was requested by Darren on last year's Sound of Play Halloween special because it's so damn scary. <laughs> I wanted to bring it back because it really is just, you know, that good. It stands out for being completely antithetical to everything Zelda music has been before this point. Uh, this is the Forest Temple by Koji Kondo from Ocarina of Time also. And Majora's Mask has the reputation for being the creepy Zelda game, but every, uh, but Ocarina of Time has its moments as well. Uh, one hypothesis about this, the 2D games had to create very diverse enemies to make them recognizable and readable in the 2D space with fairly undetailed sprites. But that level of variety and diversity of enemies creates a, a kind of strange precedent when translating the series into 3D. And... Um, kind of intending to create a world that feels more real and lived in. Some of the elements of the 2D games that make sense within that space, such as wall masters, you know, hands that fall from the ceilings and pull Link into the floors, become rather nightmarish when translated into 3D. And I think instead of redesigning these enemies to fit a more uh, kind of maybe consistent and coherent aesthetic, they decided to really run with the creepy stuff and uh, created some really kind of nightmarish scenarios in, in this game and the next game especially. But I think that this track is uh, it really stands out for being really just kind of minimal. And, um, you know, you're exploring this temple, but you have this almost kind of maddening soundtrack in the background that's just daring you to turn back to the entrance. And so for everything that... Uh, for the, the creepy side of the Zelda gamers, this is the Nightmarish Forest Temple by Koji Kondo.
Oh boy, what is there to be said about this next track? It is a near-perfect song. It's catchy and chipper while still being thoroughly dreary and sinister. I find the piece to be hugely intellectually engaging more than anything else. It sways back and forth between major and minor keys to a tremendous effect and... Geez, what a, just what a corker of a song. It's just truly one of my favorite songs from the series. Uh, to speak a bit more critically about it, I don't know that it necessarily conjures the image of a storm in my head. It sounds more like kind of a, a sea shanty with maybe a bit of a Romani twist to it, but you know that's not to take away from the fact that it's a wonderfully mysterious and danceable song. Uh, this is the Windmill Hut, also the uh, Song of Storms. You know, it's... Uh, but anyways, uh, by Koji Kondo. This is featured in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and then reused weirdly in Majora's Mask. I think just where it's placed in the game, I think, is important because, like, you know, when you go inside the windmill, it doesn't say inside the windmill. There's just a bunch of question marks on it. So it's kind of like you're in this otherworldly place. And yeah, yeah. And actually, you find out that the end of the windmill is actually the end of a grave from the graveyard. So <laughs> I think the. The song is kind of intended to be intentionally discordant for where mm. it's placed and what it does. It's it's uh, the guy who's playing it is an organ grinder. It does kind of sound like an organ grinder music more than what you would expect. Kind of like a windmill, which would be maybe you would associate with a more pastoral sound. Yeah, yeah. But then you find out that it's connected to the graveyard, <laughs> and uh, then you use it to affect the weather mm -hmm. so i think it's intentionally supposed to be kind of a, a manic and slightly off kilter song you know something more along the lines of uh something you would do with a crazy person than what you would do with a windmill keeper <laughs> i think it's a very apt description so anyways this is the windmill hut by koji kondo <laughs> Ocarina of Time, we go into Majora's Mask, which Ocarina of Time really established the importance of music into the series, and I think Majora's Mask just built on that, much of the way that Majora's Mask built on everything that Ocarina of Time did. A key part of Majora's Mask's atmosphere lies in the passage of time, and the closer the game comes to its literal deadline, mm. the more dread the player should be feeling. 
but especially since you're working with the Nintendo 64, even with the help of the expansion pack, it's still difficult, you know, visually to really present this growing presence of dread, you know, working with that technology. Pretty much what you have is what you get as far as what you're looking at. It's difficult to change things. But so the developers, they relied on the soundtrack to get this feeling across, and it's particularly prevalent in the Clocktown setting, which begins on the first day with this really pleasant and relaxed tune, and especially note there's this easy drum beat in the background, it just disappears on subsequent days. And then it builds on that basic tune on the second day and on the third day with this manic tempo and this more ominous instrumentation, until you get to the last day, where it shifts jarringly into this ethereal, sad tune that's it's almost otherworldly, as the moon is mere meters from crashing into Clocktown. So what we've worked together here, uh, it was my idea, but Ryan has put it together, is we've got a Clocktown medley of the first day, the second day, and the third day, and the last day by Koji Kondo.
some excellent pieces there. And that, that last day bit gets me every time. That's a wonderful composition, which was also uh, previously featured on the Sound of Play requested by Josh Garrity. Uh, this next piece is a uh, strange, slightly discordant song. This is Deku Palace by Koji Kondo. The lead instruments feel very kind of medieval European, even more than the typical Zelda song, but the percussion sounds like kind of tribal drumming almost. I think it speaks really well to the unique identity that Majora's Mask has, including the different kind of cultural touch points that it draws upon. But there's something vaguely askew about the track, as as we've said about many of these Zelda tracks so far. And I think it's an intriguing listen. Um, don't really have a lot more to say about it other than that, but I, it stands out to me as, as an interesting track. So this is Deku Palace by Koji Kondo. And for our last song from Majora's Mask, uh, we have chosen Stone Tower Temple, also by Koji Kondo, and I would just like to echo everything that Ryan just said about Deku Palace. It's mm. I don't know what was going on with the themes. I, I couldn't begin to explain the composer's motivations for doing this, but almost all of the dungeon music in Majora's Mask has this very tribal sound to it. I mean, I'm very glad we didn't collaborate on this. I'm very glad Ryan said tribal because that was the same word I had written down. Stone Tower Temple is in this kind of haunted wasteland. And as you climb to the top of it and you've experienced everything that's happened to this land, you've seen all the sadness and all the danger and all the tragedy that's happened here. So 
it's appropriate that there's just this kind of mournful moaning sound all mm. through of it that's it's still very musical. And I think it's very evocative of all the feelings that Stone Tower Temple is trying to evoke. Yeah, and if this song strikes you as something that you like, then uh, do also check out, there's a slightly creepier version on the soundtrack called Stone Tower Temple Inverted, which uh, those who have played the game know what that's all about. Um, those who have not have uh, a nice secret waiting for them. Um, Best dungeon ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth seeking out if you like this one. And that takes us out of Majora's Mask and into more of these uh, Game Boy-type games, or Game Boy Color anyways. These next couple tracks are from the Oracle games, and I think that they're particularly interesting because, as I mentioned on the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons Canon Rinse issue, I love the idea of passing the Zelda series to a new studio with completely different creative leads. Uh, Just like how the Batman character can be the one that we saw in the cartoon, The Dark Knight, and the Adam West show equally, you know, so too is the Zelda story broad enough yet packed in enough with individual character to make wildly different retellings not only celebrated, but I guess even necessary at times. To that end, I like that the composer of the Oracle games didn't simply copy what had come before, for the most part. I mean, there are some throwback tracks, but uh, for a lot of it, he or um, they, I guess, multiple composers, composed many new tracks as well. Uh, Many of the songs are probably none too memorable, but there are a few standouts between the two games. My personal favorite is the really masterful theme of the character Nehru, the Oracle of Ages, Um, the titular Oracle of Ages. Uh, This is Nehru's song. It has a strong leading melody that echoes with some really haunting arpeggios in the background. It's almost like the melody drips from a stalactite, kind of sending ripples of music into the puddle below with every line. I'll be playing a cover 
uh, covered by a a flutist named Dan DeSimone. You can find more of his covers on YouTube on the 8-Bit Brigadier channel. And I think that the, uh, he captures the spirit of the track really wonderfully and gives us a really delicate composition or a really delicate rendition of this really intriguing song. So this is Never Song covered by Dan DeSimone. from the companion game to Oracle of Ages, which is Oracle of Seasons. And if I might be incredibly opinionated for a moment, (laughs) Dancing Dragon Dungeon in Oracle of Seasons is a not very good dungeon and a not very good Zelda game. I just replayed them last week. I was not a fan. (laughs) But it does have one thing going for it, and that's an interesting theme song. And one thing that you've got to do, and Koji Kondo has talked about this, especially in regards to the Super Mario theme, is when you're working with limited technology, Mm -hmm. you have to have a catchy song because you're going to be hearing it over and over and over again because especially with like the Game Boy and with the Nintendo with the NES or the Famicom you don't have a lot of space so you might get 20 seconds of music and it's going to be playing over and over and over again and I think Dancing Dragon Dungeon is a really good example of this in action it's a classic example of using limited technology to create a short, catchy, and memorable backdrop to an extended gameplay sequence. And as is right there in the title, it's very danceable. Yeah, exactly. So it's backed by this driving, repetitive bass beat, and it's overlaid by this winding tune. It doesn't really say to me, dragon. <laughs> it's not what I think oh, of when right. I think dragon, <laughs> but, but it is very listenable. So this is Dancing Dragon Dungeon by Kiyohiro Sada and Minako Adachi. Thank you. 
for the Wind Waker. Can we just talk for a moment about how much I love the soundtrack <laughs> to the Wind Waker? I I struggled to choose just one song from the soundtrack. If I had my way, this podcast would be five hours long and it would be nothing but Wind Waker <laughs> songs. Uh, from the mysterious legendary hero that plays over that really memorable opening scene mm. of the scrolls going by that tells the legend of the hero and how he didn't come to save the world. And then there's the adventure song that plays on the ocean that just makes you really feel like you're just bouncing up and down on these rolling mm. waves. And then there's just like the silly departure, which most people probably know is the pirate theme, which gets echoed later on in the series as Groose's theme. It's it's just the apex of the entire Zelda soundtrack for me, which is saying something. I was talked down from featuring every single song, and we've just chosen <laughs> the title theme to Wind Waker. And one thing I think it's important to note about The Wind Waker, this song in particular, but the soundtrack in general, is that Link is cast as this literal conductor of the winds mm. with the Wind Waker baton. So it's no surprise that Wind Waker goes to such great musical lengths. It's, it's right there in the title. It's the most musical game since Ocarina of Time. But, and it also seems to be that the woodwinds take particular prominence in many of the game's compositions, which shouldn't be surprising because it's The Wind Waker. So I don't think that's an accident. I love the kind of Celtic or Scottish uh, flavor that you get to a lot of the music in this game. It's really different than anything we've heard before. Since you're exploring a large open water area with lots of small islands, I think Mm -hmm. they were either going to go with that kind of music or something from the South Pacific. And Mm, I would be really interested to know what kind of inspired that particular choice, other than the fact that the Zelda series has always been very European, so maybe it wasn't that hard to choose. Mm. Enough of our blather. This is Tidal by Kenta Nagata, Hajime Wakai, Toru Minigishi, and Koji Kondo. Excellent track, which we've heard back on the GameCube and on the Wii U in the remake. Uh, This is another, probably the most famous piece from this particular game. Uh, This is one that's been featured in Smash Bros. games and, uh, of course, in the Wind Waker and Wind Waker HD remake. Uh, We could spend all day talking about the Wind Waker soundtrack, as has been mentioned previously, but this track has really always stood out to me. Um, This is the Dragon Roost Island soundtrack. And this is led by some really lovely wind instruments and backed by a kind of Gerudo Village-like Spanish guitar, which doesn't seem to be thematically appropriate since the Rito race who inhabits the island descended from the Zora. I, I would like if they, um, if they did have a tie in that way, using these kind of little motifs and uh, things going on in the soundtrack to indicate that, but that doesn't seem to be the case in this particular case. I, I, I almost wonder, hmm. because we don't see the Gerudo anywhere in the Wind Waker. 
So I almost wonder the, if there was, but culturally, because the uh, the Rito are very tribal. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if there was in some kind of in, intended blending between mm. the Zora and the Gerudo, which resulted in the Rito, and that's where that kind of mixing is coming from. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It would kind of explain the uh, facial paint and some of the uh, kind of outward expressions on the body there. But uh, yeah, I'd have to look into that more. I love when it jumps just really earnestly and feet first into that unexpected second refrain. Uh, it, it strikes some genuinely emotional chords for me. Overall, the sound of this track is so enrapturing. It really does have like a really airy, breezy feeling reflecting not only the winged residents of the island, but also the tall mountain that is the island centerpiece. Uh, this track is really kind of irreplaceable for me on the soundtrack, and so I um, love it and listen to it quite frequently. So here is Dragon Roost Island by Kenta Nagata. <laughs> games minish cap has some very unique compositions as well again as i mentioned i really like when somebody else gets their hand on the zelda soundtrack because it means that we're going to be hearing something different and kind of a different take on the zelda formula which uh, i guess you know as we've proven to this point it is not short on variability already but it is always interesting to hear somebody else's take on it uh, a lot of revisiting of classic tunes in the Minish Cap soundtrack, but this one stands out as being particularly unique and interesting. It's a fairly high energy track with a lot of very different sounds and counter melodies going on all at the same time, and it feels strangely modern for a Zelda game, almost like something I'd expect to hear out of one of the more recent Pokemon games, which, you know, we'll mention uh, again later, but a lot of the Zelda series has kind of straddled that line between the past and the future. And um, I, I think that this track does a good job of evoking both of those time frames, which, you know, goes back to the original conceptualization of the Legend of Zelda game. But, um, you know, more on that in the original Legend of Zelda Canon Rids podcast issue. Lo- too long a story to go into right now. 
but uh, this is an interesting track that I can imagine being in all sorts of different kinds of games, but uh, has an interesting place in The Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap. This is Minish Village by Mitsuhiku Takano. I think most of us listening to this were probably there for what happened when Twilight Princess came out and suddenly it was going to be a GameCube Wii dual mm, release. Right. Uh, and I uh, I couldn't afford a Wii at the time, so I went through a lot of sadness over that, <laughs> uh, which I think is appropriate because I think Twilight Princess <laughs> is uh, it's the saddest of all the Zelda games. I think I think of what if I would use one word to describe Twilight mm. Princess, it would be very sad uh, or even mournful. So I, I think mm. that our next song, which is Midna's Lament by Toru Minigishi, it's this song that happens after you've completed the first part of your quest and you found out a lot about Midna along the way and what motivates her. And just after this, this really scary and unsettling thing has happened that completely changes your track of your game and how confident you are that you can accomplish it, Midna is kind of mortally wounded, and you have to rescue her. And this is the song that plays over that entire sequence, no matter where you are in the world. I think it very effectively relates the sadness of the moment, the importance of the moment, and drives you towards solving it because this song just will not let you forget what has happened to Midna and you need to do something about it.
So we're moving into the DS games now, and I think it's really important to remember with Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, especially thematically, is that they are direct sequels to Wind Waker. So mm. it's probably not an accident these games, perhaps more than any other Zelda title following the Wind Waker, musically evoke its themes. So Spirit Tracks has this odd focus on trains, which might seem like this odd successor to a sea voyaging game. But the Realm Overworld track from Spirit Tracks, which we're about to listen to, manages to honor its predecessor with a similar tune, but with this twangy, banjo-laden backing track that gives this real sense of this driving forward momentum. (laughs) And I really admire how they chose to do that instead of reducing the soundtrack to like the rather obvious piston-driven percussive beat of a train. There's something kind of country about it, isn't there? I think that... One thing that hasn't been remarked upon in the Zelda games as a whole, especially in the past 10 years, is how much country music has actually gotten into them. (laughs) Uh, But ever since Ocarina of Time, they've kind of been exploring music from all over the world. But I think it's the country music, Hmm. possibly because of the popularity of Epona and Malin and Lon Lon Ranch that has really, really (laughs) hung on there. But yeah, uh, Realm, Overworld, and Spirit Tracks, I think, thanks to that that banjo background piece that you hear whenever you're driving that train around, I think really, really pushes that country influence forward. So uh, mm. this is Realm, Overworld by Toru Minigishi, Manaka, Tomonaga, Asuka Ota, and Koji Kondo.
What a full and vibrant composition that was. And uh, fans of the Smash Bros. series will also be familiar with that as it was featured in the 3DS version of the latest Smash Bros. game. Maybe in the Wii U version as well. I don't know if it's in that one. Uh, probably not because the level isn't in the Wii U version, which is a good right. thing because that level is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. But it always has its Omega form. Yeah, we're going to move back into, I don't want to say one of the main entries because every Zelda game is a main entry, but this is one of the more substantial console entries, I will say. This is from The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. We're going to feature a few tracks from that game. Uh, sorry for kind of passing over Twilight Princess, but uh, I think that this game has perhaps a more uh, substantial musical contribution to the series and a very diverse soundtrack at that. So to start off our exploration of Skyward Sword, we're going to be looking at The Ballad of the Goddess by Hajime Wakai and Takishi Hama. This is stirring and triumphant. It's a really great introductory track to the grand adventure of Skyward Sword. Though I'm not a tremendous fan of the game, I still think that this is a really magnificent mission statement, and it does get me excited for a story and uh, just kind of the, the type of tale that they were trying to evoke. It's slow and weighty, really stressing the grandeur and importance of Link's quest. Also, there's a fair amount of showing off in this track, as the composer is clearly kind of boasting about the size of the orchestra. And so this is, I guess more than anything, just a really magnificent adventure track. So I guess we'll, we'll get right into it. This is The Ballad of the Goddess from The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. next song also from skyward sword uh we passed over the kind of beloved lawn lawn ranch and opponent song from ocarina of time but we have chosen the lumpy pumpkin theme from skyward sword which i think makes up for it it's this really safe and friendly song that evokes that country sound which we talked about earlier i think if you're going to pick a zelda country song this is the definitive one it's from this environment in Skyward Sword, the Lumpy Pumpkin Bar, that homages the atmosphere of both Lon Lon Ranch and the Milk Bar from Majora's Mask. Mm. And it's just a really 
unusual track from a Zelda game. I think if you listen to this out of context, you didn't know what you were listening to, you would not guess at all that this was from a Zelda game. So this is the Lumpy Pumpkin theme by Hajime Wakai and Mahita Yokota. starts off with a very direct kind of musical riff on the uh, the Lawn Lawn Ranch theme, which mm-hmm. is familiar to Zelda gamers by now, which I love when they kind of iterate upon those um, on those musical motifs because the Zelda series does have such a strong musical background that even just one or two notes here or there are immediately recognizable. Uh, we are getting into some of the, the last tracks that we're going to be featuring today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of variations of uh, this a similar theme. This is Fee's theme by Takeshi Hama from Skyward Sword as well. 
and Fee is my favorite character from Skyward Sword, uh, though many complain that she's a bit annoying, is particularly when warning Link about the battery level of his sword, I guess. I don't know. I really found her really interesting. Maybe it's just that her speech pattern reminds me of Gladys from Portal, but there's always something really neat about the mathematical, robotic, futuristic angle that they took with her. Uh, As I've mentioned before, they've always really teased a thin barrier between the ancient fantasy and far future in in the Zelda series. And this might be the closest that they've ever gotten to breaking that wall down, which I still think would be a really fascinating place for them to go in future games. The song itself is mysterious and a bit sad, uh, but also really jovial in a way. Kind of reminds me of something that would be on Pixar's WALL-E soundtrack or the ICO soundtrack, ECO, whatever it be. Um, but yeah, this is the theme of Fee from Skyward Sword. I've always pronounced it Fee anyways. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, I, I think it's pronounced Fi. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I've always pronounced it Fi. I could be wrong. That's the thing with no voice acting. <laughs> exactly. Fee's theme, Fi's theme, however you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the next song. I think it kind of really shows what kind of character that she is mm. because going into that kind of old technology kind of idea she's kind of like an artificial intelligence that kind of lives inside what eventually becomes the master sword little spoiler there so i think it's really appropriate that she kind of starts off as this very cold robotic thing and Mm. doesn't have a whole lot of a personality and as she goes on like her speech patterns don't really change but over the course of the game you do kind of see that she develops this kind of friendship with link until at the very end when she uh, kind of becomes one with the sword she thanks link for his friendship and i just think it's a great moment and uh mm. i think both of these songs that we're going about to play that are kind of associated with her kind of show that evolution of her character because they start off kind of sad but they also go through the whole kind of gamut of human emotions as Phi learns about these things
pronunciation thing is going to be, it's going to bug a lot of listeners, I think, especially when we get to the Skyward Sword podcast. Uh, I kind of don't want to know. Like, I kind of just like, <laughs> kind of like my way of, <laughs> of doing it. And I'm sure everybody else feels the same way, but I always thought it was kind of a riff on like a do, re, mi, fa, so, la, but there's no fee anywhere in that. So that doesn't really help us, but yeah, fee, fi, whatever it be, fee, fi, fo, fum. Uh, according uh, to this, it's pronounced fi. Well, who, who is this This that we're talking about? Uh, Google. <laughs> uh, it said the Japanese spelling of Fai's name, then there's some kanji there that I can't read. The romanization of which is F-A-I, Fai. Uh, Therefore, right. the English pronunciation would be Fai, as in rhyming with the word my. Well, whatever. I'm going to continue by introducing this next track as Fee's Gratitude. <laughs> this is by uh, Takashi Hama again. Uh, and this is a really, uh, it's a piano rendition, so to speak, of the last theme that we played. Uh, it is slow and mournful to start with, but it, it really kind of erupts into a tremendous orchestral arrangement. It's a really sweet and somber song, and it speaks to the range of Skyward Sword soundtrack and the overall experience of that game that it can exist alongside kind of the rousing adventure tracks that we've heard previously. But it's... It's very mysterious, and it kind of it it plays a similar type of tune that Midna's Lament, which we played previously, does, uh, and so I I really love it, and I hope that all of you will as well. So this is Fee's gratitude or Fi's gratitude from the Skyward Sword. All right, we have one track left to play, and it is a doozy, so do not tune out now, because this last track is one that you're going to want to hear. Uh, remember, please venture over to our forum at canonimits.com slash forum, 
or uh, you can request songs there or at our Twitter, at Kindermans. Use the hashtag, hashtag SOP, to uh, request songs on our Twitter. Or you can request songs on our Facebook page, anywhere you want. We will accept them from all sources. You can request your favorites, and we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play podcast. Please do subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us an iTunes reviewer rating, as it does help us out a lot. And I just wanted to uh, thank our guest, Andrew, on this particular podcast. And uh, are there any things that you wanted to highlight for our audience, plugs or things that you like more eyes and ears on? <laughs> that, that would be great. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an incredible opportunity for me to do this. And I just, I never thought for a moment I would be able to do this. <laughs> oh, well, you've, con- you've contributed quite a bit to our podcast through your written correspondence as well and through the uh, live streams that you've done in the past before. So, yeah, this is... We, we couldn't think of a better man to have on the show. Oh, thank you so much. But if people want to continue to follow the things that I do uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Play Critically. That's Play Critically. Uh, I have <laughs> a blog, which is criticalbytes.wordpress.com. That's B-Y-T-E-S. And you can also follow me on Twitch, where I try to stream every night of the week. I often fail, but I try to stream every night of the week. That's, ambitious. That's twitch.tv slash criticalbytes. B-Y-T-E-S. And I do my best to stream all of the Kane and Rince games, but I don't own all of them, mm. so sometimes <laughs> I miss them. But I am definitely doing all the Zelda games if you want to follow along with those. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been really exciting. And also, you know, I do want to emphasize that um, a lot of just making this happen was due to your knowledge of the Zelda series as well. You know, you're able to highlight many tracks that I had never heard from games that I have not yet gotten around to playing yet. And so uh, it's been really magnificent having you uh, um, suggest some of these tracks, including the next one, which might be my favorite track that we played all day. And maybe even my favorite track from the entire Zelda series, because it doesn't necessarily sound like a Zelda song when I'm listening to it, but it is just so full of energy and instruments and life that I'm I'm really, really happy that I was exposed to it in preparation for this podcast because I don't know when I would have heard it otherwise. You know, I've not played this game myself, but it's magnificent. Yeah, our next track comes from the most recent Zelda release. It's from Triforce Heroes, which I think is going to go down in history as a really contentious Zelda game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... There is one thing where it's indisputably Zelda, and that's because it has a fantastic soundtrack. And this is mm. the title theme by Ryo Nagabatsu. I think it's kind of apparent that with all of its fashion focus and everything, that Triforce Heroes was kind of intended to take place in an analog of France, which is mm. a really stereotypical thing to say about France, that they're into fashion. But that that seems to be what they were evoking there. And what so if we, Nintendo's on kind of a France bend with Yeah, because we just with... had Unova and Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So somebody working at Nintendo obviously was really into France for a while. Yeah, in the 3DS department anyways. <laughs> yeah. And then also there's this song which mm. with its it's got this this fiddle playing over it and it's got an accordion playing in the background like you mentioned yeah, earlier yeah. about it's got a really Romani sound to it. This I think has an even more of that sound but it's really lively and it's really fun. I think it's a great track to go out on. Yeah, so this might seem a little weird not going out on one of the real, you know, familiar Zelda pieces, but I think if anything, this cuts a 
a really magnificent trail forward through the jungle, so to speak. And so, you know, this is a new original composition for Triforce Heroes, but might be just one of the most lively and wonderful tracks in the entire series. And so I'm, I'm really proud to be able to go out on this particular track. So this is title theme from Triforce Heroes. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next week with a new sound of play. (laughs) 